This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. I'm Cassandra Baldini. This is the Financial Standard podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We're familiar with the statistics and the cautionary signals. The silver tsunami has arrived and Australia's demographic makeup is maturing. In the coming 10 years, a considerable number of individuals will transition from the accumulation phase into retirement, which will inevitably impact the economy. The biggest concern surrounding this transition is a view held by some that super funds aren't ready. Here with me today to discuss the reasons for this is KPMG partner, superannuation and insurance, Melinda House. Melinda, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. The long-awaited retirement income covenant was introduced in 2022. Can you give us a quick explainer on how it's going in terms of achieving its intentions? Yeah, sure. Well, as probably your listeners know, under the covenant, super fund trustees have to formulate a strategy to help their members in retirement. And they have to help them achieve a balance of three things, which I think of as three corners of a triangle. The first is maximising the retiree's expected income. The second one is managing the risks to the sustainability and stability of that income, as in making sure it lasts as long as they do. And the third one is giving the retiree flexible access to their expected funds in retirement. And so what have super funds been asked to do? Well, they all have had to document a strategy to identify their members' retirement needs, and they had to do that by the 1st of July 2022. Then at the moment, in in the last financial year, through to 30 June 23, and each year after that, super funds have to assess how well their retirement income products are delivering outcomes to their members as part of their annual outcomes assessment. And also, the impact of the retirement income strategy has to be included as part of their business performance review, and they have to capture all those findings in their business plans. So, what's the report card look like at the moment? Well, if you look at our retirement income system, what is it doing well and what isn't it doing well? All super funds currently offer income streams, so that's a good thing. And most members do take these up when they retire, but these are mostly in the form of account-based pensions. So the retiree runs their own account and they choose their level of income and they choose how much money is invested and they can withdraw lump sums whenever they want. So that's hit one of those three triangles I was talking about of the retirement income covenant. Everyone's got flexibility of income and, and access to their capital, so that's great. But it doesn't deliver one of the other key corners, sustainability of income. When the account balance runs out, that's it. And there's no more pension payments and people are just back on the age pension. So really, retirees are taking on the the risk of living too long. And we actuaries call that longevity risk. So that's the real area where I think the our, our Australian retirement income system is letting retirees down. Well, the focus is currently all around the aging population and how that's driving transformation within the super sector um, and how the super sector is adapting in response. Both ASIC and APRA have expressed concerns around the inadequate response from funds. Do you think funds are waiting on government intervention or is there uncertainty genuinely in the root of the fact that retirement is just not one size fits all? Yeah, I think it's actually a little bit of both. It is a complex place. And, and as you say, Aparanastic recently put that report out. And what they did was they looked at 15 
different super fund trustees, and that represents more than 5 million Australians' superannuation. And how are those funds going implementing their retirement income strategies? Well, what they found was while trustees are improving their offerings and their assistance to members in retirement, there's a sort of a mixed bag in terms of that report card. So, some hadn't done enough and there was a lack of urgency in embracing the retirement income covenant. So, the bottom line is a lot of trustees have not yet introduced offerings or products to help people manage that longevity risk and insure against it. At the moment, all that risk is borne by the member. So, what that means is many retirees, they're not sure how long they're going to live, so they hang on to their capital and they don't spend as much as they could. So, it means they're actually living a lower standard of living in retirement than they can actually afford because they're hanging on to their capital, taking minimum payments out of their pension because they just want to have that you know, capital behind them in case they live longer than they're expecting. So, it is a complex place. It's a, actually a mathematical optimization for the trustee to work out how much to have in the account-based pension and how much to have in sort of these new offerings, longevity insurance style of products. So, Aparanasic had kind of three broad observations. Um, they said super funds need more focus on understanding member needs. All of the super funds had gaps in the critical information they needed to really work out what their member needs are. Secondly, they need more focus on designing fit-for-purpose assistance. So, they need to use metrics to track how their members are using the retirement income offerings and work out are those effective for them. And then thirdly, many trustees hadn't kind of embedded it into their strategy and business plan. So, they're not making that link back to, okay, members, here are their needs, here's what we're doing, here's the next thing we're going to improve and we'll put that in our business plan. When we last spoke, you were talking to me about how it's a little bit difficult to innovate in the space. Yeah. What what are the issues with our retirement products? Yeah, it's it's been hard because look for years, over like 30 years or so we've seen these uh, more innovative products like retirement income products that manage longevity risk have been introduced but they've failed to get traction and um companies that develop those have ended up footing a large bill because their product hasn't been successful and didn't sell or retirees didn't didn't take it up. Um, so, there's a whole lot of barriers to that. One of those is, and you mentioned it a little in your earlier question, one of those is just retirees themselves or, or the general population, um, there's a lack of awareness of these are quite complex products. So, compared to other countries where we see that the only places where these sorts of products have traction and have take-up is where there's some sort of compulsion or incentive. We don't have that here. So, there's a lack of incentive or compulsion. There's a lack of awareness. There's some behavioural factors and there's a range of legislative barriers as well. There's a whole lot of behavioural issues that stop people thinking these products are a good deal. You know, one of them is we just don't think we're going to live as long as we actually are going to live in retirement. Back in 2012, actually, when, when I was working at the Actuaries Institute, I wrote a paper on this and we looked at back then the barriers to these products actually getting traction. If you look at the maths behind this, which actuaries have been doing for decades, we know it's optimal for someone to put some of their money in, for most Australians, put some of their money in some sort of longevity insurance product, such as an annuity, a variable mm-hmm. annuity, something like that. 
because people don't realize that, the products look confusing. There's been a lack of supply in the past. That's that's getting helped now. But then you've got all these behavioral issues. The perception of cost. If you don't think you're going to live as long as you do, when you look at the cost of these sorts of products, they look really expensive. So, for example, I'll give you a little example on life expectancy. People look at the ABS, the Bureau of Statistics data, for life expectancy at birth, and that's how long they think they're going to live. And for a man at the moment, that's 81, and for a woman, it's 85. But those figures are much lower than the actual age at which current retirees, um, their life expectancy is going to go to. The first reason for that is that it doesn't allow for improvements in mortality. So whilst you're retired, everyone keeps living longer. So for those 20 years, you'll live longer as well. The other one is it's your life expectancy at birth. By the time you get to 65, you can expect to live much longer than people at birth. So you remember those numbers I just said, men 81, women 85. The actual numbers allowing for people who are 65, not at birth, and allowing for mortality improvements is um, men will live to 85 and women till 87. So for a man retiring at 65, he might expect to live 16 years to 81. He's going to live 20 years to, to 85. That's a quarter longer than he might be expecting and planning for. And a woman's going to live 22 years in retirement from age 65. So then when you start looking at the cost of insuring, making sure your payments last for life, if you're going to live 20 or 22 years, maybe those products aren't as expensive as they look. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. I mean sort of like on that, annuities are quite unpopular with super fund members in Australia. And according to APRA data, it's something like 3% of retirement assets are held in annuities. Why do you you think that is? I mean, like annuity providers are reporting this. They're selling a lot more than they used to, but most of these Mm. are are being bought outside of super. Do Do you know why that is? Yeah, most of the ones that are being bought are term annuities. So they pay just for a period of time. There's a a lower take-up of these lifetime ones that guarantee your income for life. And the first one I've just mentioned, people just don't think they're going to live as long, so the products look expensive. The second thing is another behavioural little quirk, a trick our brain plays on us. We overweight the importance of unlikely events. So at age 65, there's only a 2% chance of dying in the next year. But when we look at and weigh up the cost of an annuity, we kind of load in in our brains that there's a 6% chance of us dying in the next year. So we overweight the chance, hey, I might die in the next little while and then, you know, I've, I've lost that capital. So it makes it look unattractive. The other thing is our brains also um, dislike negative outcomes and that outweighs the pleasure we get from positive outcomes. So again, that also reduces the attractiveness of giving away some of your capital into a lifetime annuity because we're worried about losing out if we die before our life expectancy. And there's other things like mental accounting and some of the mental models we use that also go against it. So around the world, there's been a lot of studies on why people don't buy annuities and they're some of the reasons. And we just, yeah, so the word annuities just sort of has a bad name. Low interest rates have also been a bit of a factor as well that the returns from them have been a little lower and we're seeing interest rates a bit higher now. So it is starting to change, I think. I think I read KPMG believes that 2023 is a year of change and we're Mm. likely to see an uptake of new products and innovation across the market. Can you tell me what, what are we expecting? Yeah, um, we did recently reduce this, uh, release this article called The Seven Drivers of the 2023 Inflection Point. 
for retirement incomes and that's on our Super Insights webpage if, if your um, listeners wanted to have a look. And as I said, these products have been launched in the past. They haven't got traction. We think that this year, from now onwards, we'll start to see that change. And these strategies where that are designed to give retirees confidence that they can have income for as long as they live, that's such an important factor. And it's actually the number one concern of most retirees is to have their money last as long as they do. So the first driver of the seven is there's a critical mass of people retiring now. So they really, there's a massive need for this and their number one desire when super funds survey them is stable income. Secondly, the traditional strategy in retirement now, as I mentioned, it's an account-based pension and we've just come off the back of one of the longest bull runs. I think it's the longest bull run of of investment markets in history, a 20-year bull run up to sort of the early 2020s, which meant that people could put their money in an account-based pension and get a really strong return. And that kind of gave them a buffer then to carry them through if they lived a little bit longer. But now markets are much more volatile and returns from equities are lower and expected to be lower going forward. So, those traditional strategies aren't as attractive anymore. Um, The third thing is government and regulators are making retirement a high priority as we've seen with the covenant. The fourth one, it's a really interesting one, it's competition with super funds. Super funds now are all vying and fighting for the same members. So, they know that keeping their members in retirement is a key strategic priority for them. And you've seen senior retirement executives appointed in a number of super funds in the last 12 months. So, a lot of time and effort and focus going on making sure they've got fantastic offers there that'll keep members with them through those retirement years. Say all funds have a new product that includes longevity insurance outside of mm. an account-based pension. Yep. And the strategy worked out to know what proportion should be in each. Would that Mm. solve the issues we're currently facing? Yeah, I think it'd go a long way. Um, It is, as I said, a mathematical optimization and and KPMG's done this work with a number of trustees. We've got an optimization model that helps show them how much they should have in each. That goes some of the way because at least then the offer's there. But the difficulty is it's really hard for super funds then to get members across the divide from their super fund, their accumulation fund, over into retirement. So, short term, yes, the super funds need to develop the offers. A lot of them have got great education, things like that. But I think really there needs to be a focus on making it easier for members to have access to good quality and cost-effective financial advice to help them make that decision and get them across into the retirement offering. That's going to be really important. I guess quality of advice review does look to assist that because super funds haven't been able to provide advice up until this point. And of course, there is a shortage of financial advisors. So they just they just aren't those people to service, you know, the population. Do you think that we'll see some change when, you know, when and if the, the quality of advice review is sort of passed? Yeah, I mean, there've been some quite radical recommendations in there and they're all aimed at helping more Australians get access to cost-effective financial advice. And I think that's absolutely necessary. When you look at how big these lump sums of money are that people have to make big decisions about at retirement, I think those those um, changes that have been proposed, um, I think will go some of the way towards doing that. 
And really, super funds need to be able to help and guide members across, and people need to be able to talk to someone to really check if what they're doing is going to be the right solution for them. So, yeah, it can't happen soon enough. There's a lot of onus on super funds, but regulators and government, you know, might also be responsible for limiting their ability to deliver the best outcomes to members. Just around, you know, that piece where super funds haven't been able to provide advice and there's obviously ASIC. Um, ASIC has their own regulations about members moving from, you know, that accumulation to the retirement phase. Back in 2012, when we first started looking at this, there were a lot of legislative barriers and happily many of those have now been addressed and they're no longer a problem. So, there Mm -hmm. has been some positive change. The quality of advice review will help, as we just mentioned. But I think a big thing is right now we've got, we call it a retirement income system, but it's actually a retirement lump sum system because to go from a super fund into retirement, it's a whole new product. And the member has to fill out a new prospectus and take out a new product. It's not seen as a continuation of the same fund or product. And that is the current ASIC um, regulation. So, I I would, this is just my personal view, I would love to actually see um, members be able to continue on to receive an income stream and have it much more seamless than it is now. It's quite clunky with having to change across and fill out more forms or um, reapply uh, in the retirement phase. Looking ahead, what do you think in terms of short-term and long-term actions needed to be taken to address the gaps between super funds and the retirement income covenant? Well, short-term, APRA and ASIC have pointed out they're expecting some quick action from super funds. And what they've said is super funds need to be doing more hardcore analysis of what that optimal optimal strategy looks like. It is a mathematical equation. Most funds have enough data to have a good stab at that. If anyone needs some help, please give me a call. (laughs) But trustees, they do need to add that longevity insurance module into their offer to sit alongside their account-based pension. All the work we've done does indicate that. There's a range of partners they can um, partner with, specialist insurers, to achieve that. So, then they need good metrics to work out whether the strategies are working and they need to integrate that retirement strategy into their broader super fund strategy. So, they're the really key short-term things that the regulators are calling for. Well, really look forward to seeing the innovation in the space and what continues to happen over the next few years. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing those insights. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 